verses 3 through 6. The Apostle Paul says, I, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You may be seated. As I have uh, anticipated this last Sunday, I've been doing some, some reflecting on our uh, almost 18 years of ministry together. When Lori and I came here 18 years ago, we were young, uh, somewhat newly married without kids and with our dog, Bo, who if you remember from back then, often his mischief would make its way into many of my, my sermons and now, after more than 21 years of marriage, two kids, uh, a new dog with different kinds of mischief, and four cats, uh, we see how much has changed and, how, and really how long we've been on this journey together. It dawned on us not long ago just how long we've been here when we realized that when we first arrived, uh, Lori towered over Charlie Dimestra. And for those of you who don't know, he's now going on seven feet tall. And the babies who were in uh, the church at that time, the babies that we held and, and, uh, and ooed and awed over are now grown up and in college. In those early years, when I would do hospital visits, the hospital staff would often mistake me for the grandson of the person that I was visiting, and they would say, oh, how nice that your grandson could be here with you today. And whoever I was visiting would have to give that awkward explanation that I was not, in fact, their grandson, but I was their pastor. And I even made a point to carry a bigger Bible with me when I do hospital visits, just to kind of give off that pastoral vibe to my presence, but it was to no avail. That hasn't uh, happened, by the way, in a few years now. Nobody mistakes me for anybody's grandson anymore. By my uh, uh, somewhat rough calculations, in our time together, I have preached 864 sermons. I've preached through 17 books of the Bible, including 10 Old Testament books, and if you know your math, then seven New Testament books. I have conducted 156 premarital counseling sessions, 26 weddings, 37 baptisms, and 33 funerals. I have led uh, 213 monthly elder meetings and uh, sat through 213 monthly council meetings, and that, of course, doesn't include all of those, the many special elder and council meetings in between. My season of ministry at Covenant Church has been a season of blessing. It was here that I entered into the fullness of my calling as pastor. It was here that I exercised my burning passion to preach. It was here that I embraced the role of theologian and grew into my calling as shepherd. It was here that I was shaped more and more into the image of Christ through hardship and suffering. And it was here that my family found true community and fellowship in the body of believers. 
And so as I look back on our time together, the, the overwhelming theme in my heart as I look back on this, this, this journey, the overwhelming theme in my heart is thankfulness. And as I pondered what to preach for my final sermon, I, I really couldn't think of more fitting words than these words of Paul to the Philippians. As Paul was filled with thanksgiving and joy over his partnership with the Philippians, so I am filled with thanksgiving and joy over my partnership with you. Now, Philippians is one of the books that I did preach through, and really not all that long ago, and so I don't want to rehash everything I said when I preached through these verses then. But just to give you just a little bit of, of background, uh, the church at, at Philippi, hold on one second, now my computer's messed up on me again. So the... All right, there we go. So the church at uh, Philippi was planted by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey uh, in the early 50s. And Paul, at the time, if you remember when he went through Philippians, Paul had found a, a group of God-fearing women who gathered by the river every Sabbath to pray. There was no synagogue in Philippi. It was just this group of God-fearing women who, who prayed together. And so Paul found them, and he, uh, among them was a prominent businesswoman named Lydia. And Paul shared with her the good news of Jesus, and, and God opened her heart to receive it, and, and the church in Philippi was born. And from the beginning, the church was deeply grounded in the transforming power of the gospel. It was kind of a ragtag bunch uh, as, as it began. You had Lydia, and then you had a, a jailer, and you had a former slave girl, and all of them sort of you know, bound together by the power of the gospel. And this produced a warm sense of gospel fellowship that Paul shared with the church. Of all the churches that Paul addressed in the New Testament, this is the one for whom, if, you know, according to his words, he had the deepest affection and friendship and joy. So when I preached through Philippians a couple years ago, I identified four main themes in the letter. I'll just run through them very briefly with you again. The first is unity in the midst of differences. So very fitting for us a couple years ago. There were tensions and disagreements among the believers in Philippi. And it was Paul's prayer that, that they not let these things divide them, but that they remain united in the one thing that runs deeper than all of their differences. And that one thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second theme is endurance in the face of suffering at the hands of the state. As a Roman colony, uh, Philippi lived and breathed the mantra, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. Caesar was, uh, was God, Caesar was worshipped, Caesar was supreme, and, and the, 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 the culture of Philippi did not take kindly to the Christian claim that Christos Curios, Christ is Lord. And Paul urged the Philippians to live boldly under the lordship of Christ and to stand strong in the face of opposition. The third theme is joy in troubled times. Uh, many have called Philippians Paul's joyful letter. Just because that theme of joy is like this, this, this major thread that runs throughout the entire letter. And then the final theme is really the foundation of all the rest, and that is treasuring Christ above all things. This is the foundational theme of the whole letter. Paul wants his readers to know the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so throughout his letter, Paul extols Christ as the only theme worth preaching and the only master worth honoring and the only name worth exalting and the only cause that makes life worth living and the only hope that makes death worth dying. And with that background in mind, we can turn our attention then to Paul's words in our text this morning. As Paul looks back on his time with the Philippians, so he looks back on their partnership together, and as he looks ahead to what their future holds, he is overcome, filled with thanksgiving. And that's, that's really where I find myself this morning as I uh, look back on our time together and as I look ahead to what the future holds, I am filled with thanksgiving. And we see in these verses really two main reasons for thanksgiving. The first reason for thanksgiving is the joy of gospel partnership. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Notice the, uh, the, the, all of the stacking of superlatives. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And so there is that, that strong theme of joy. Paul is filled with thanksgiving and joy. And he goes on to give the reason for his joyful thanksgiving, he says this, I, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the, from the first day until now. And that word partnership uh, we have seen many times before. It's a translation of the Greek word koinonia, which is usually translated as, as fellowship. But as I've said, fellowship has really these kind of unhelpful connotations of little more than, than coffee and cookies in a fellowship hall at church. And that's really, that's not the, the Greek sense of the word in, in Greek. That, that word koinonia has the idea of this, this deep bond of togetherness based on a common cause or concern. And here in Philippians, that common cause or concern is the gospel. Now, having just finished the book of Romans, we should have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. I gave you a very succinct definition, maybe 12 to 15 times throughout our study. So the gospel is the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the perfect righteousness and sacrificial death of Christ. The gospel is the the best news the world has ever heard. The gospel is the only remedy to the problem of sin. The only freedom from the, the prison bars of condemnation. The only hope of God's deliverance uh, from, from God's uh, wrath. And the only means by which sinners are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And like Paul, I look back on my time at Covenant and I am filled with thanksgiving for the joy of gospel partnership. Uh, the image that comes to my mind is, is the image of, of a row team, a group of men or a group of women uh, who are uh, all working together, all striving toward the same goal of the finish line, doing things uh, together that you could never do on your own, all straining together toward a common end. What a joy it has been to partner with you for the sake of the gospel. What a joy to experience that, that, that true fellowship and the common bond of, of togetherness that is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I can't imagine anything else that, that could bring together such a, a disparate, really a, a disparate group of people, blue-collar and white-collar intellectuals and non-intellectuals, uh, Dutch and non-Dutch, non uh, 
Packers fans and, and Vikings fans, I mean, all bound together by the deep and abiding bond of the gospel. People have asked me, by the way, you know, do I wear, do I wear purple to kind of give a little, as a little jab to the Packers fans on, on Sundays? And really, no, maybe once or twice, yes, all right? I, I just, I, Lori likes the color purple. She says it, look, says it looks good on me, so that's the main reason why I wear it. Secondary reason, because I'm a Vikings fan. As I look back on our time together, I see how this gospel partnership has played out in so many different ways and through so many different seasons. It was our gospel partnership that, that drove our worship and, and filled our sanctuary with praise. It was our gospel partnership that sustained our ministries and, and, and fueled our, our efforts to make disciples. It was our gospel partnership that gave birth to a, a homeless ministry and, the, and the, really the, the radical decision to turn a motel room off of Northland Avenue into a gospel outpost center. It was our gospel partnership that opened our hearts to two Congolese brothers in Christ who just sort of wandered into our fellowship and, and they dreamed about some kind of kingdom-building relationship with us and by God's leading, we said yes, though we didn't have a clue what that would look like or how we would make it happen. I remember sitting in that council room when we pondered this, this idea of these, these two Congolese men who would come into our fellowship and, and should we do something? Should we partner with them in some way? And we didn't have a clue what we were doing, but the overwhelming sense in that council meeting room was this just this overwhelming sense of yes we need to do something with them and by God's grace through our bumbling steps of faith the partnership remains and the Congolese fellowship has grown it was our gospel partnership that propelled my doctoral work, and I am so immensely grateful and thankful for the way that you supported me and, and uh, sustained me through those years. It was our gospel partnership that produced the fruit of growth, which prompted our building expansion and the hiring of an associate pastor. It was our gospel partnership that has made this a place of hope and fellowship and joy to the glory of God. And a major part of my thankfulness for the joy of gospel partnership is the fact that, that there are so, so many gospel contributors at Covenant Church. Well, what a blessing it has been to be part of a church with such an abundance, just, a, just sort of this, a, a lavish amount of, of lay leaders. As you make your way forward into the next season of ministry, never forget who you are. Uh, to use the language of Jesus in his parable of the talents, you are a five-talent church. You're not a one-talent church. You are not a two-talent church. You are a five-talent church, meaning you are a church that has been entrusted with much. You are a church that is bursting at the seams with gifts. You are a church with an, with an abundance, really a, a lavish amount of, of passionate, committed, kingdom-building servants. And with great gifts come great responsibility and, and great potential to keep on doing great things together for the gospel. Don't forget that you are a five-talent church. 
And so like Paul, I thank God and I'm filled with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day, from the very first day until now. It has been a partnership of eternal and enduring significance, a kingdom-building, life-giving, Satan-defying, reason-defying, Christ-exalting partnership. Thanks be to God for the joy of gospel partnership together. The second reason for thanksgiving is the assurance that God will bring to completion the good work he has begun. So Paul says, I thank my God and I always pray with joy, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, the good work that God began in the Philippians is the same good work that God has begun in all true believers, all followers of Jesus, and it is the work of salvation. It is the work of drawing people out of their deadness in sin into new life in Christ. As one commentator put it, it is the work of turning stone-dead people into living, loving replicas of Jesus, the radiance of the Father's glory. And this idea of carrying to completion, I think, reveals a central aspect of, of God's character, of who God is. He is a God who is unwaveringly faithful. He will finish what he started. He will see things through to the end. Whatever good salvation-accomplishing, kingdom-building, disciple-making work he has begun, he will carry through to its appointed end because that's who God is. That's the, uh, part of the essence of his being. That's what he does. And when I look back on our 18 years together, I see that so clearly that consistent theme of God's faithfulness. I see God sustaining and preserving and caring to completion the good work that he began. When I first came to Covenant for a little over a decade, uh, for those of you who were here at that, at that time will know this well, we met in that small space that is now the youth room, that little yellow room. And when I go there now, I wonder how in the world did we ever have that be our sanctuary? But that's where we were. And as the church grew, we went from really this intimate gathering to, to cramped uh, and probably guilty of all kinds of fire code violations. Uh, but even so, I have fond memories of worshiping in that space. Now, that's where, that's where God began his good work of our partnership together. It was in that space where I remember Scott Steenaport doing one of his many crazy children's messages that involved, this one involved, one time he brought in a, a cage with a couple of chickens. Uh, this one was, a, he brought in this really giant scroll, and, and Scott never wanted to settle for good enough. Scott made this scroll so long that it extend, he had the kids extend it not only from uh, the, the one end of the sanctuary to the other, but then opening the doors and out into the fellowship hall and on and on this scroll went. It was in that sanctuary that my love for Old Testament narratives was born as I preached through the books of Ruth and Jonah and Esther. It was in that sanctuary that we celebrated the gospel-centered lives of some of our founding members, Russ and Del Wearsome, and it was in that sanctuary that we grieved their deaths. It was in that sanctuary that I did my first baptism. It was in that sanctuary that a, a single blonde engineer came into our fellowship, and to our delight, he stayed, and he kept on coming, even though there weren't any, really any other singles in the church at the time. 
and he's now serving as our council chair. It was in that sanctuary that a man gripped by addiction came to freedom in Christ. It was in that sanctuary that a woman entrenched in self-pity came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and was never the same since. It was in that sanctuary that a man hardened to God in unbelief and said he would never step foot in church, professed with tears in his eyes how the God of relentless grace had captured him with the good news of Jesus. All of these were little echoes of the good work that God was beginning to do. And by God's grace and faithfulness, we began to grow. We grew to the point that we knew we were... Uh, we were uh, too big for that, that intimate little space of ours, and through the gifted and faithful leadership of, of Don Vogt and of Mike Ivey and, and many others, we launched and completed a building expansion, and here we are today. And we were filled. I remember the first time worshiping in this space, uh, Christmas Eve, I think December of 2016, worshiping in this space, and we were filled with praise and wonder over the goodness and the faithfulness of God as that project was brought to completion with just really this, this amazing spirit of, of unity and joy and common commitment together. And God continued to carry to completion the good work he began, and he began to fill our new space with new people, new God-honoring Biblically grounded, Christ-exalting, kingdom-devoted brothers and sisters in Christ. He brought us in a relationship with the Congolese refugees, and he sustained us through the storm of COVID. He led us to the point of stepping out in faith to hire an associate pastor, and by God's grace, he brought us Ben, who is this incredibly gifted and, and God-honoring, biblically grounded servant of Christ who is using his many gifts to, to, to build up the body and advance the kingdom and give glory to God. In all these things, the consistent theme has been God's faithfulness. He's carried covenant through seasons of growth and adversity and building expansions and the hiring of staff. And he has been doing this good work for the advancing of his kingdom and for the glory of his name. And like Paul, I am fully convinced that he who began this good work in you will carry it on to completion. He will keep the good story going. And we already uh, are seeing some evidences of God's faithfulness in doing that. He will finish what he started. He will provide. He will sustain. He will see his gospel work through to the end. One of the things I have enjoyed over the years is uh, sharing stories with you. And after 18 years, it was a struggle to find, up, find a stories that I, never, that I hadn't shared with you yet. And so I'd often say, I think I've shared this story with you before. And then I would go and share it again. Here's a story that I've never shared with you before. When I was in college, at least I don't think, maybe, maybe I have. I, if I have, you can tell me afterwards. I don't, I'm pretty sure I've never shared this. But when I was in college, I worked for one summer as a fishing guide at a, at a camp for kids. It was, it was a, a camp that was in Minnesota, real close to where we're going to be moving to. And on the last day of camp, I took three kids out to one of the area lakes to fish for bass. And this, this was the big ending of camp. This was, this was the climactic moment. Everything was building to this big, this big bass fishing tournament. And the kids were so excited for this, this, this moment. All, they, they, they'd been talking about it all week long. And it turned out to be one of those days where everything goes wrong. 
So we, we got to the landing, I backed the boat down into the water and then watched it fill up with water because the boat didn't have a plug. So back on the trailer, go back to camp and get a plug for the boat, quick go back and back down in the water and the motor was dead. And uh, so back to camp again, trade the boat for another boat with a different motor. And this this point, that you know, the kids were so excited and giddy with excitement, they're now, their, their level's way down here and they're, they're getting, beginning to get disappointed and discouraged. And so we get the boat in the water, lost some precious time. After a half hour of fishing, we ran out of gas. And the guy at the camp had said, has sure us had a full tank of gas. Clearly, it did not. And, and so at the, now they're just completely deflated. And they are, their smiles have long since vanished. They are just, they're, they're completely, they're completely downtrodden. And this whole trip is now just a disaster. And I couldn't bear to have them end camp on such a sour note. So I told them, I said, I'll find a way to keep on fishing. I'll do whatever it takes to, just to see this trip through. You know, we'll, we don't have gas, whatever. We'll, we'll do what it takes. And so I, I paddled the boat, boat back into about chest deep water. I got out of the boat. And then I began, for the, so for the rest of the afternoon, I pushed that boat around the lake while I cast out into deeper water. And I was thinking to myself, they're not going to catch any fish. You know, as I pushed the boat around. But after a little while, they began catching fish. And, and they, they caught a lot of fish. And pretty soon the, the smiles came back and the excitement returned and they were having the time of their lives. And when we got back to camp, they couldn't stop talking about how it was the best trip they'd ever had. And they had, they had so much fun. You should have seen what our guide, our guide did something that your, your guide would never do for you. He pushed us in the boat around the lake. They even got letters from those kids a few weeks later saying how amazed they were that I would go to such lengths to see the trip through. Well, so it is with God. He will carry to completion the good work he began. He is unyieldingly faithful and relentlessly devoted. He will go to unimaginable lengths. He will do whatever it takes to see things through. How do we know that? Because he did. He did go to unimaginable lengths to see things through. He gave his son to see our salvation through. He sent his son to take upon himself the penalty of sin for all who believe. And as Jesus breathed his last, he said, it is finished. That's the same word that Paul uses here in Philippians. It is completed. The cross is the definitive declaration of a God who carries to completion the good work he began. The cross is God's megaphone of relentless grace and unyielding faithfulness. And so we can say with Paul, if God is for us, well, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also then along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, he who gave, who, he who gave the greatest thing will surely then give all of the lesser things on the road of our redemption. And he who started a kingdom advancing work within this body will surely see it through. He will carry it on to completion. There will be more kingdom fruit to celebrate and more kingdom wonders to behold. We have an unshakable assurance because God is unfailingly faithful. Thanks be to God for the assurance that he will carry to completion the good work he began.
And so this morning, we find ourselves at a crossroads. We look back, uh, we look behind us, and we, and we see 18 years of gospel ministry together. And then we look ahead, and we see this, this sort of open road that we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what, what, what turns and what, what adventures await on the road ahead. And we see on that road, we can imagine new things and new adventures in ministry and new testimonies still to be told of kingdom fruitfulness to the glory of God. And as we stand at this crossroads, the overwhelming theme in, in my heart is thankfulness. Thankfulness for the joy of gospel, of gospel partnership that lay behind. And thankfulness for the assurance of God's faithfulness on the road ahead. And there is, without question, pain in the parting. Now, Lori and I have been, have been feeling that, that pain over the, over the past several weeks. But deeper than the pain, there is an abiding thankfulness and joy because we know that God is good. There are more stories of gospel partnerships still to be written and more adventures of kingdom work still to be completed. And so we say with the psalmist, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Let us be glad and rejoice in what God has done. And let us be filled with hope in what God will do. To God be the glory. Let's bow together. Lord God, we are filled with thanksgiving and joy. As we ponder, O oh Lord, this partnership together in the gospel, as we ponder the assurance that we've been given that you will indeed carry to completion the good work that you began, as we ponder your faithfulness and your goodness, and as we've seen that again and again in so many different ways, and now, O oh Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we are filled with thanksgiving for this greatest of all of your gifts. This greatest expression, this greatest demonstration of your faithfulness. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the gift of your Son. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the unimaginable lengths to which you went to see our salvation through to the end. We thank you, O Lord, for our ability to come together under the cross and to be filled with wonder and praise and thanksgiving, knowing, O Lord, that you will carry us to the very end of our salvation story. Oh Lord, fill us with thanksgiving as we come together to the table to eat, the body, eat and drink the body and the blood of Jesus. And may we do so, oh Lord, to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.